0: This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now the word evidence is an important concept in both law and science. In law we think of evidence as facts that support a story. The facts can be witness observations, photographs, documents, emails, statements, admissions, blood samples, tests, or are all sorts of other facts and of course in law there's this thing called admissibility which we won't get into but the point is, is that law is based upon evidence. You have to have it evidence to prove your case and something similar happens in science. We hear from scientists who say that scientific ideas must not only be testable, but must actually be tested, preferably with many different lines of evidence by many different people. This characteristic, science says, is at the heart of all science. And scientists actively seek evidence to test their ideas, even if the test is is difficult and means, for example, spending several years on a single experiment. So both science and law here are based upon evidence, but this is where something starts happening with our current scientific worldview, Uh, and this comes from uh, Ernest Meyer, who is the late Harvard biologist, very well known as being probably the leading neo-Darwinian out there. And he gave a very clear description of what separates science from religion in in his book This is Biology. And what he said, among other things, is that one of the clear demarcations between science and religion is that science does not invoke the supernatural to explain how the world works. And this, of course, is part of the problem because science, by this definition, has ruled out the supernatural, as being a topic of scientific investigation, or put differently, that there is no evidence that the supernatural really exists. This brings us to the topic of medianship, and in mainstream science, medianship, or communicating with spirits, is probably an outlier, and to many scientists it probably does not exist, just like God, spirituality parapsychology, near-death experiences do not exist. But this worldview is starting to change, and it's starting to change for one big reason, and that is the evidence is starting to mount in favor of a broader perspective where what we know as the supernatural is becoming more natural. A person who has been in the forefront of legitimizing medianship is today's guest, Mark Anthony, also known as the Psychic Lawyer. Now, Mark is one of my favorite guests on this show. He has a new book out called Evidence of Eternity, Communicating with Spirits for Proof of the Afterlife. Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Philip. It's always great being back on your show.
0: Yeah, well, I was saying before that we have some things in common. We're both lawyers. You go off on this, on a... On a uh, your God-given skills as a medium, and I do my own little writing. But I think it's what's what's uh, similar between us is that we're both rooted in this um, idea that you have to have evidence to support things that you believe in, and that's that's either good or bad, perhaps. But I think it's good, and you know, going to law school and practicing law, Mark, you know, as well as anybody unless you have some facts to support a story, your case ain't going nowhere.
1: It, that's absolutely true, Philip. And I, I was raised as a Catholic, and I'd even considered going into the clergy. And one of the, the mottos and the maxims that they drilled into us, and, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, uh, because faith is a beautiful thing. And for people who have faith, no explanation is necessary. For those who do not, no explanation of God or the afterlife may be possible but faith is believing and not seeing yet the more I I started working with my gifts as a medium I saw that just believing what they're telling you which is what a lot of religions do this is what this book says this is what we say you must believe it and the personal experience of connecting with god of of glimpsing if only for a moment the afterlife is is taken out of the equation entirely and when you look at hinduism and buddhism the eastern religions seeing god connecting with god perception of the afterlife is part of the spiritual journey and i don't think that uh, Christianity really intends to negate the personal experience. My friends who are born again Christians talk about having an experience where uh, their faith, their their belief in God, was born again within them. So I think what's happening now is that just believing what you're told isn't working for people in the internet age. Right. And yet you and I are are left-brained, logical people. Uh, we're attorneys, and we want evidence. And I don't believe that evidence and faith need to be mutually exclusive.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that that is well put. And when you get to the realm of science, there are many things that scientists themselves take for granted or take on faith. And and it's sort of like if you have what I've called 360-degree uh, skepticism, where if you look at what underpins many of our basic beliefs whether it is religion or science there are a lot of assumptions that are 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 in play here and i think that questioning those assumptions and seeing what evidence exists can only be healthy uh, my view is that the deeper the deeper the belief or the deeper the understanding sort of the the deeper the inspiration the deeper the sensation the the more the richer it is and so i really think that there there is value in looking at the evidence for any of this stuff now in in your in your new book uh, evidence of eternity you t- you weave stories these these great anecdotes from from your your clients and your experiences and your encounters with Sci- with discussions of scientific evidence and you try to I think show that science is sort of going in this direction. What what led you to take this slant with your new book, Mark?
1: What I, what I did with Evidence of Eternity is write a book that no other medium has written and, and with all, all respect to all my colleagues and, I, and I'm glad that they're out there and, and they're writing their books they're pretty much the same thing And as an attorney, I I also possess a healthy amount of skepticism. And skepticism isn't what a lot of people think it is. There are people who say that they are skeptics, but they're actually debunkers, and their mind is closed, and they think that anyone who believes in the afterlife or God is delusional, and that all mediums are charlatans, and that if something is not within their personal realm of experience, therefore it does not exist. Right i've always taken a very broad-minded view towards towards the afterlife and i don't believe that the supernatural is unnatural right so when i started working with my abilities I realized there must be a physiological reason why I can do this. And my research led me into a discovery of the unique and mysterious uh, properties of the pineal gland. When I say mysterious, it's only because we don't completely understand everything that it does. Because once a mystery is examined and what makes it uh, uh, the unknown qualities of it begin to be unraveled and explained logically, it goes from being a mystery or paranormal to being something very normal and explainable and every human being has the same physiological equipment we all have have a heart, we all have a nervous system, we all have an electrical field running through our bodies and within our brains we all have the pineal gland which in the past 20 years has been subjected to a tremendous amount of study uh, both in the US and in Europe and in Israel what scientists have found is that within the pineal gland are magnetite and calcite crystals. Therefore it generates an electromagnetic field, it controls our brainwave frequencies, it controls our perception of light in addition to a whole myriad of other bodily functions. In short, we have a radio station in our heads because Philip, as, as we all know, the first radios were quartz crystals with copper wire running low levels of electricity through them. So we have a much more sophisticated apparatus in our heads. And the scientists that are studying these indicate that this is how people are able to engage in what is known as psychic or mediumistic behavior. So everybody has this equipment. Everybody's capable of this to some degree. So this started me on my search for other answers to things about uh, what happens when we die, what is the afterlife like, is reincarnation for real, do animals have souls, and, and that led me to taking what has previously been considered esoteric topics and subjecting them to my logical analysis of an attorney and there are answers for everything there's a delivery system for everything there's a reason for everything and just because we don't understand it does not mean it does not exist
0: yeah and i think that the you know the heart of science is observing facts and coming up with a theory a story that that explains the facts and one thing that I think is coming more to the front and center in today's age, as I said at the top of the show, is that near-death experiences, such as the Eben Alexander book, Proof of Heaven, uh, parapsychology, and then you have Dean Radin, who is so um, legitimate and so authoritative on the topic. We've got you with Medianship. Uh, we have phantom limbs, we have so many things uh, out that were considered to be outliers that are that are facts, and so that leads to coming up with a theory that accounts for the facts, and I'm like you, mark, where i'm not a fan of a theory that that uh discards facts because they don't fit the theory or they don't fit the model and that is something that needs to change and it's one it's probably the reason why I am doing this show is because it's it's not a valid theory if it doesn't account for the facts now going going into your going into your book a little bit you talk about spiritual situational awareness at the top of your in in the top of your book and yes. that's and that's sort of a a new concept that I had not heard of before, and it might be good to use that as sort of an introduct- introduction to the way you approach this topic, Mark.
1: And, and thank you, Philip. In in my book, I'm introducing new concepts and terminology that nobody else has to describe uh, psychic and mediumistic phenomena, and spiritual situational awareness is is the first chapter. I came up with this concept I've, when I started working with um, a lot of military and police officers who come to me for readings, and my dad was a Navy SEAL, and when I was a kid, he always taught us to be aware you know, before you jump in the ocean, uh, because we live by the ocean, look at the water. See if there's something swimming around. See, you know, he would show us where to look for rocks and things like that. And I remember when I was about 15, I went to the beach and it was a summer day and everybody was in the water and I wanted to run in because it was really hot and I was sweating and I stopped and I just had a feeling that I needed to look around. All of a sudden I saw this dorsal fin come up and behind it was another fin. So I knew it was a shark because they got the front dorsal fin and then, on their rear, on their tail, they have another one, and I could estimate that it was about nine feet long, and it was swimming right by a crowd of people, and then it gently went down under the surface, and so I started telling everyone, everyone! Please get out of the water. And they're all staring at me. And I go, everyone. And they're like, why? And all of a sudden it came up again and someone <laughs> screamed. And it was like that scene in Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> when everyone starts yeah. running out of the water. Everybody and then the knows that. they are yeah. flipping yeah. out. And yeah. I'm running down the beach telling everyone, get out, shark, shark. And so it was dr- it drilled into me from a very young age and very glad that it was. Uh, my father taught me you must always be aware of what's going on around you well both my parents were mediums and my mother um, was incredibly gifted and they started saying you have to be aware of energy you have to be aware of spiritual influences around you at any one time when I started doing readings for military and police they were always talking about situational awareness you just don't walk into a crime scene you just don't jump into a dark alley you stop you pay attention attention, you look around you are aware of what's around you well it's the same not just in our world but in dealing with the other side in dealing with the spirit realm you have to be sensitive and open to the spiritual influences around you and as i explain in the first chapter this can save your life Every soldier, marine, uh, sailor that I've talked to, every police officer has told me that if they did not pay attention to their feelings, their intuition, and their sense of situational awareness, they would be dead, and for those of us, and, and I include all the listeners, when you start opening up and, and and if you get a feeling that you shouldn't do something or be a feeling, don't jump into a situation. You need to go with that because that is developing your sense of spiritual situational awareness.
0: Yeah, that's good. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm happy to be speaking with psychic lawyer Mark Anthony, author of the new book Evidence of Eternity. And when you were writing about that. Uh, Spiritual situation awareness and just talking about it, Mark. The the image in my mind is sort of like we are sort of creatures in this ocean, and we we are and, and sometimes we think that our little world is all that exists. But we're actually in this, and you could call it a field if you want to be more scientific, I guess. But the ocean metaphor is one I like, and you use it yourself in your book uh, in in part, but is is that really what we're talking about that that we're really part of a web of 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 experience here and that we sort of have to be aware of the of the context in which we're living is that is that what you're driving at here
1: Uh, i am um in in evidence of eternity each chapter sets forth a concept and then the subsequent chapters build upon and incorporate that concept and spiritual situational awareness is the first one later in the book chapter eight is frequency beacons and i like the way you said are we all part of a web and frequency beacons whenever you're grieving very heavily right after the death of a loved one a lot of people say they feel their the the spirits of their loved ones around and i've also um I've, i've met Everyone I know says they'll be driving down the street and all of a sudden they turn on the radio and there's the song that makes them think of their their loved one who's passed. Or all of a sudden you pick up a, a, a fragrance, a scent of a deceased loved one, or you maybe catch a glimpse out of your peripheral vision. These are known as frequency beacons, and when you're thinking very, very heavily about a deceased loved one, the way I describe it in the book is think of a three-dimensional spider web. Let's take the spider out of it. But with spider webs, if a fly or some other insect hits a spider web, it sends a vibration along the net, along the web, to the spider, allowing it to know that there's something there. Now taking the the, the spider because you know you know a lot of people think spiders are creepy but the vibration is the same we're all energetically interconnected with each other and with um our loved ones on the other side and any parent knows this any parent um that that i know says they'll get a feeling something's wrong uh, going wrong with their child and even though there's no cell phone or or any uh, connection with them and they're right And we do this with loved ones, identical twins. Oh, my gosh. I know so many identical twins. One of them gets the flu, and then the other one comes down with the symptoms but is not actually sick. Uh, I've I've encountered so many people like this. So – when we're thinking very heavily about a spirit we're sending an energetic emission a vibration a frequency beacon if you will to the spirit and conversely they can do the same thing to us uh... they can send a um... uh... an emission to you that prompts you to turn on the radio and there's the song you know that makes you think of that person and they can also help the plant suggestions and guide you now this is nothing to be spooked about no pun intended and, and nothing to be afraid of because this is simply the way it works they're not here when I say they spirits are not here to control us or to frighten us or to do anything negative to us they're here to guide us and if we tune them out then that's our choice but if you tune in and are aware of these subtle influences they can be very very helpful and I, I believe it 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 um this is part of enhancing one's own spirituality. And some people say, well, I don't need spirits, I just need God. Well, it's the same thing. You've got to be open to your connection with God and to the higher, higher, higher frequencies of the other side to get the proper guidance and direction in your life.
0: Now, what... I think a common question here is that you've done, not only have you had the fortune... And I, I think it is. I think it is a benefit to have this ability to speak with spirits, Mark. But you've also given us a lot of thought. You've also applied, as you said before, a lot of logical thought to figuring it out. What is it actually like to when, when you do communicate? Let's call it with the other side. What What do you feel yourself?
1: It's an amazing experience, and a lot of times it's. It's as if I'm stepping back and observing what's happening, and that does not mean they're possessing me. What it is, I'm going from the beta state. In other words, if we're to brain map you and me right now, we're in the beta state. That's the conscious aware state where you can get up and, and work a computer, drive a car, you know balance a checkbook, just you know activities of daily living. Right. When you go into the alpha state is when you go from the conscious state into a sleep state, and then you go from the alpha state to the theta state which is a deeper level of sleep, it is on the alpha-theta border that psychic activity occurs. For some reason, people like me can do this in a conscious state and voluntarily. And in a way, it's almost like a high. I mean, it's not like a a drug-induced high. It's a, a euphoric, it's a beautiful, it's a relaxed sensation. And when spirits communicate, I see things, I may see visions of what they look like, or they may show me particular objects or things from their life or the life of the person I'm doing the reading for. I may smell or taste things. I may hear uh, things, maybe complete sentences, names, songs, and I'm going to feel sensations. A lot of the sensations that I get are indicative of how the person passed uh, you know i 'll feel certain pains in part of my body and and other sensations and the more the more I have done this, I know oh that means a stroke or this means uh um, cancer this means you know, some other type of of ailment or traumatically induced uh, um, um, death and i 'm able to communicate those things but one of the most amazing things, and I describe this. In, in evidence of eternity, is with connecting with with the other side, um, on several instances, a spirit who's in in the higher frequencies of the other side. Call it heaven if you would like. Call it the light, nirvana, whatever you would like to refer to that right. paradise. They will let me feel what it feels like to be them, and and Philip. It is the most incredible sensation. If I could bottle this and sell it, I'd put every drug dealer in the world out of business because you don't even feel your body. I feel just for a second, like patched into everything, everywhere. It's this light, happy, exuberant feeling. But... It is so overwhelming physically that it will, I can handle it for about four or five seconds, and then I feel just completely drained, but it's, it's drained in a very good way. And my understanding is that it's like being a single wire that is now confronted with all of the electricity that needs to go through Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> so I can handle it, for like, you know, it just briefly, but it is incredible. Um, No pain, no sickness No sense of a body And I don't mean that in a negative way No sense of a body means this just Floating Interconnectedness It really is quite amazing And what spirits have, have explained Is that we have a finite material world limited existence. In other words, we have a body. And we come into this life to experience uh, material world things. And it really is a privilege to be in this world. But when we revert back to our eternal uh, spiritual state, that all the physical and mental pain, ailments, aggravations, um, um, everything that weights us down, grief, in the material world is, is no longer there. They're aware of these things, but they don't experience them, and it is just amazing.
0: What one thing that comes across uh, from from that is the way that, in just listening to your um, description, it, it it supports Buddhism and s- some other Eastern thinking where. The purpose of life is to release yourself from the material realm. And uh, last week's guest, I had Simran, and we talked about this a little bit. It's really not so much releasing from the material world. It's sort of releasing from the attachment to the material world. And when you think about it, that all our stresses... Our anxieties, our worries are so much tied up to the material world. So I could just imagine how pleasant it would be <laughs> not to have those attachments. And and to me, Mark, this is a kind of thing w- w- that I would call a convergence uh, because you're coming at it from a little different perspective, but you're sort of supporting... Uh, you know a thousand or 2000 years later some of these classic spiritual uh, traditions that talk about releasing ourselves from the material world that is really what nirvana is uh, it's it's the it's it's letting go of the attachments uh, to it, the it, it is,
1: and it's fascinating because I'm on my logical, evidence-based uh, mission to understand the other side, and yet I'm coming up with the same conclusions that Buddha and Jesus yeah. and Krishna yeah. were were trying to teach people. Because in Christianity, you know, when Jesus was was working with his disciples and saying, "Give up your attachments and your material." Uh, you know connections and follow me and when he uh, found and connect with his Christ consciousness after going into the desert for forty days and forty nights and Buddha undergoing a similar experience going into the wilderness for forty nine days and forty nine nights and if you think about it it's it's, um, desire 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 Um, I want this I have to have this and it's the eternal struggle or maybe let's call it the material world struggle, between the ego and the spirit. And the ego is, I don't have enough, I need more, I'm not good enough, Um, I can't do this. The ego is always there tempting you with the promise of something you already possess. I'm not good looking enough i'm not young enough i'm not rich enough i'm not thin enough i'm not smart enough i'm not talented enough i know so many people that i've come across and they say well i can't do that because i'm not good enough yeah. well, i'm too old it's like well you know well winston churchill got elected prime minister of, of england when he was 65 years old yeah. okay and when you look at people that were, were older and then they started painting and creating all these incredible things or people say well i'm not good looking enough well there's a lot of actors and Movie stars that really aren't good looking, but they're great character actors, and we love them because they bring a humanity to the character. So, the ego is always there saying, You're not good enough, you can't do this, you need it, and I need more, more, more. If I get more money, I'll be happy. If I get this person to fall in love with me, I'll be happy. If I live in this big house, I'll, and so on and so forth. And so, spirituality is recognizing that, well, you know, hey, it's nice to have money in a place to live. But your happiness is not contingent upon the collection of material goods, because they cannot love you, and they never will. And that is the point of, of Buddhist and Christian and and uh, Hindu and is you know Muslim spirituality. In other words, all the great teachers were talking about the same thing. But somewhere along the way, you know, people took detours.
0: Yeah. Well. It, yeah. Exactly. We we tend to. Um, have an us-against-them attitude uh, sometimes in religion where the, all the religious leaders are saying exactly the opposite. When when you talk about uh, communicating with the other dimension, I, I and I like to have you put that in your own words in terms of uh, whether you're calling it a dimension or another place, but when when you're when you're doing this have have you felt that over time mark you're coming to a, a a better understanding of what exactly you're doing i mean have have you is this something that that you feel is a learning experience for you in your in 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 what this other side is really about
1: it's constantly a learning experience. Yeah. It's evolving and growing. And my ability to communicate uh, and, uh, with the other side, which I call interdimensional communication. Right. Uh, I wrote a chapter. Instead of calling what I do mediumship, it is interdimensional communication because we are in the material world dimension and the other side is another dimension and this isn't some woohoo idea. If you look at quantum physics and string theory uh, practitioners in the realm of physics and dark matter theorists for the past century there are theories in the realm of physics that there is not just a universe but there are multiverses. There are uh, a whole plethora of of different dimensions and frequencies, people say, "Oh, well, that sounds ridiculous!" And I don't know, you know, how can you believe that? And well, I don't, I haven't experienced, so I don't know. But when you look at the dark matter theorists, they're they're telling us that over ninety percent of the universe or the multiverses are not per, we can't perceive them even with our technology. So if ninety percent of existence is beyond our ability to perceive, then we're only able to experience such a small part. All right, now let's take that theory out of it and let's just look at the electromagnetic spectrum. What can we see with our eyes? We can see visible light. However, we can't see x-rays, gamma rays, microwaves, radio waves. Um, there are a whole vast array of of waves and energy patterns that our science is aware of and we've developed the technology to perceive those but with our own human eyes what we can see is a very, very, very limited portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. So just because we can't perceive the other 99.9% of what's out there doesn't mean it doesn't exist it's just that we haven't evolved technologically speaking to that so as a medium what I've found is that uh, the way they, they they meaning spirits communicate with me it evolves it grows it changes sometimes I, I perceive things in a certain way and then a more advanced understanding of that and I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do have some insights that are leading me to more questions and more questions. In, in my first book, Never Letting Go, um, there's an old Muslim saying that Allah... In other words, God has all the answers, provided one knows the questions yeah. and and i 've always liked that because the more you find answers, the more questions then emerge and you know that as well as I do as an attorney right. and what 's the golden rule when you have somebody on the witness stand don 't ask a question you don 't already know the answer to right, right. and uh, there was that that old case, and I think it was um, uh, from from the nineteenth century where this guy was accused of biting off this other man's nose and it happened in the dark and, and the, the attorney said well you did not see him bite off his nose did you and the witness said no I did not well then how do you know that he did well I saw him spit his nose out okay <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> talk That's about good. one of those moments yeah. in court where I'm like uh oh yeah. Yeah. And, and quite frankly there's no recovering from that but the fact of the matter is Questions lead to more questions, and in that situation, unfortunately, the the, uh, the person asked the wrong question. He should have just stopped right there.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Knowing knowing how to ask the question is 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 so important. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer and author of the new book Evidence of Eternity, and we're talking about some of the the practical sides of. Interdimensional communication, and one thing that I would I would say about where science is is with the the multi dimensions, and I do think that there is sort of a merging going on here between the science perspective and what I call and what I'll call the the spiritual perspective. And one of the differences, Mark, in my mind, is that the dimensions. And the universes of science are out, out there. They're they're still separated from us. They're out in the universe somewhere. Where I think that the that the stages or levels of consciousness, the the dimensions, are inside of us. See that that's that's what I think is is the difference. Um, and and I think that's something that goes together with where science is with consciousness right now. I mean, I think I've been doing more writing and reading on consciousness myself lately and it really is remarkable that it's it's assumed that consciousness arises from the brain but i think that the evidence will show the opposite is true myself
1: i i, I agree with you and earlier you mentioned dr evan alexander he and i were guest speakers at the edgar cayce center for the advancement of research and enlightenment at their afterlife conference back in november and it was really great sitting down and talking to him uh, on a one-on-one we spent about about an hour and a half two hours just you know talking about all things metaphysical and he was explaining that you know, he comes under a lot of fire, like I do, from from the debunkers and and uh, his fellow neurosurgeons who say that, oh, well, you know, um, we can do things to the brain to artificially induce a spiritual experience, so your experience has no meaning. However, if you look in any book on the human brain, any neuroscience book, maybe there is a paragraph on consciousness. Right? There's a lot of the the books about you know nerves and and how uh, the brain's organic functions work but exactly what is consciousness is completely glossed over and what we have seen is exactly what you were saying the consciousness is not created by the brain it is temporarily housed in the brain and who and what we are is much greater than that and you know my book my new book evidence of eternity has been endorsed by the top three near-death experience researchers in the world dr raymond moody dr kenneth ring who wrote the foreword and dr jeffrey long and what what they have done is applied the scientific method to studies of people who have died gone into the light and come back and dr ring said you know mark after reading your book your observations coincide with near-death experience research, but what we like about it is that you go further because our people come back. Yours don't. Yeah. <laughs> they, they go on. They're on the other side, yet they come back with insights that ratify and underline what the near-death experience researchers have been analyzing. And what I find fascinating is someone like Dr. Ring, he was uh, basically very non-religious, um, when he went into this and now he very much believes in god not necessarily in a religious sense dr alexander told me the same thing he said i was essentially an atheist i mean i believed yeah. in god's woohoo, airy fairy a bunch of unsubstantiated nonsense yet when he came out of his experience he said there is a god except that the word god is too limiting
0: yeah yeah i think i think that, that i think that that is uh a a good observation and one of the things I really think that's great about Eben Alexander, about about your book and I mentioned Dean Radin is we're starting to see authority, we're starting to see more credibility from the supporters and the advocates of these positions I mean if you, 50 years ago, this topic was much more uh, of an outlier it's still somewhat of an outlier, but it it's starting to encroach upon the territory of science. And again, as I said at the top of the show, to me it's all about evidence and about the role of personal experience in building the case. Because as more and more people have these experiences and more and more uh, authoritative Supporters are writing about them. It becomes more difficult to ignore them. The the one thing that that I I like to uh, ask here, which you probably get this question a lot, but some people may be thinking about, is that uh, there are there are a lot of questionable um, anecdotes and a lot of people who maybe take advantage of this field. To whether in circuses or on TV, to to sort of um, ride the wave, Uh, and but what to what what to you separates sort of like the ghost hunters of the world uh, from true communications with the other side? How how would you what is what to you distinguishes them? How do you tell one from the other?
1: That's an excellent question. I think you have to look at their methodology um, especially a lot of these ghost hunters and I've been on several paranormal investigations and with some of the guys uh, from television when they immediately jump to conclusions and I've watched so many of these shows where you know they're using the night vision so you get that greenish light yeah. look and all of a sudden the yeah. camera starts shaking and they go there it is there it is and I'm looking and I'm not seeing anything yeah. and, and people are screaming and running around it's a demon it's a demon yeah. Okay immediately you 're making assumptions you 're leaping into the arms of you know a perceived Satan in an archetypical hell and and uh, making all these assumptions for which there's no evidence right and you 've got to um, look at if they were saying, okay, we're picking up this, we're getting EVP, electronic voice, you know, um, patterns, and, and we're picking up electronic signature changes, and this is what we're seeing, and now the camera is detecting a ball of light, which uh, we believe to be an orb. Um, it could be an orb, and, you know, and you make sure that it's not projected from some ambient source. If you, And the problem with doing that, it would pro- it would be very boring for television. Yeah. It's easier to shake a camera around and scream demon and have everyone run away, and oh my God, it was a demon. Because I've been in several, quote unquote, haunted houses where people say, there's a demon in there, and because what happens is when a spiritual entity communicates with you, many times initially you get these tingles and cold chills, which we immediately assume is negative because that is the same physiological response associated in the fight or flight uh, response. What's really happening is spirits are pure energy. Their energy field, their electrical field, if you will, is now interfacing with yours, and your electrical field is responding by way of cold chills and tingling. And when you start communicating with the spirit, they're not there to scare you. They're simply trying to communicate. So when people start jumping uh, to conclusions and sensationalizing things, then I think that that undermines their their credibility
0: yeah well i th- I think that it's also sort of putting the notion of spirits or ghosts into this as you say sensationalistic uh, perspective, as if it 's all a bunch of science fiction, and the way and and the only way to to really deal with it is to take pictures of it to measure it and to be haunted so to speak so to, you know to be afraid because that's sort of like the traditional perspective of ghosts and goblins that we were raised with what what is and, and i think that that hurts hurts the 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 field as you probably know better than others but uh, because you have to distinguish yourselves from from that whole genre but to me when you have stories like like you've recounted in your book, and I'm probably going to I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to talk about one in a second here, but when you but when you when you recount stories and you come to the table with this with this authenticity, sort of like me, I mean, I I have what some people believe maybe crazy ideas, but I really just look like a normal lawyer, a normal person. I mean, I'm not like some. I don't run around in in the in the forest with 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 white coats and you know and beads and everything. I mean, there's there's a there's a down to earthedness here that really helps the cause. And Mark, I think that's one thing that you know that that you really bring to the table. But in terms of you know convincing people, what what have you f- found to be the best? tool that brings people to understand that this stuff is real.
1: It all comes back to evidence. Yeah. And that's one of the, the reasons I, I named my book, or titled my book, Evidence of Eternity. Because in evidential mediumship, in an interdimensional communication session you have to bring forth facts and information which can be objectively verified now I know people that do angel readings and past life regression readings and and I'm not saying that they're not legit but you know telling somebody that they used to be Joan of Arc in a prior life which is why they're afraid of lighters and fire I think is, is very undermining, particularly when there is no objective basis to verify that. Yeah. So if I'm doing a reading for somebody, and last night I did a, a, a public event uh, in Vero Beach at Sparka Divine bookstore, and we had, um, had several you know several dozen people there, and because I like the smaller venues because I can get to more people and it's, it's more intimate. but when people's names, their cause of death their favorite songs, shared memories between the client and the person come through, um, specific uh, instances that happened uh, to them uh, come through, things that I could not possibly just make up. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has had grandparents that have died of either a heart attack or a stroke, but if you start saying what they look like, what their favorite song was, what their dog looked like, and what their dog's name was, and you know something they did with you on a particular day. Day and and uh, maybe even the date that they died and and specific things going on with the the client the recipient's life that that nobody could possibly know, then those are pieces of evidence which can be objectively verified and that gives credibility to the the to the experience.
0: Yeah, and I again I think that that is really the the proof in the in the pudding because as to me, you know another thing about evidence mark from law that I think is important that is you know that that old adage that to me the the more specific the evidence, the more believable it is the more precise you are and I think that that's again one thing that separates you from many others is that your visions i 'll call them your accounts have detail that somebody just cannot make up. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Mark Anthony, a psychic lawyer and author of Evidence of Eternity, Communicating with Spirits for Proof of the Afterlife. One of the things that I wanted to cover here towards the end is that as you go through your book and your thinking on this, you know we've already touched upon sort of uh christianity and buddhism and the release from the material world and all that but it also it's, it seems to me has informed you of some other concepts in the spiritual tradition such as reincarnation what what have you uh learned about the truth of reincarnation through your experiences here mark
1: I'm a firm believer in reincarnation, and uh, I was raised as a Catholic. And in current Catholic um, viewpoints and Christian viewpoints, reincarnation is is not even a consideration. Although in the early Christian era, uh, the great um, theologian Origin of Alexandria uh, was a firm believer in reincarnation, and there are passages in the Bible which tend to indicate that reincarnation. Um, not only existed but jesus spoke about it and it's at the root of all the major religions including the mystical Chasidic sect of judaism certainly with hinduism and buddhism so i have found in in my experience that spirits tell me that we come back and we come back through succession of lifetimes so i found that fascinating and i started compiling that and notes on that and stories on that Then. In my work with near death experience uh studies and research, it appears that pretty much everyone I mean and it very well maybe everyone who has a near death experience when they come back, they all say that reincarnation is real and that's part of the uh information that was transmitted to them in the near death experience. So every great religion teaches us that the soul, the spirit, if you will, pre-exists the body comes into the body when the body no longer functions the 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 spirit goes on the second law of thermodynamics and physics teaches us that energy is neither created nor destroyed only transferred from one form to another so physics has been telling this for a long time religions have been telling us this for thousands of years and I am a firm believer in reincarnation, and and in Evidence of Eternity, there is a chapter on reincarnation, and I include two case studies, um, including the most heavily documented study of the 20th century, which uh, came to the conclusion that in that instance, it was irrefutable evidence of reincarnation.
0: Yeah, and I thought that was a really uh, good story, and... I'm not sure how one does refute that one, and it sort of says it's it's like finding an exploding Nova in the heavens or measuring dark matter or measuring dark energy or or the general relativity it is a it's a fact of our world, and I think that is an an exciting thing i i like how about karma
1: karma is 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 really fascinating because it's sort of the spiritual equivalent. Of of uh, one of the laws of Newtonian physics that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, uh, the Hindus and Buddhists believe that everything you do will come back to you. Christians believe, and it's in the Book of Galatians, um, "Whatever a man shall sow, he shall reap," and it's true. It's true there is balance in the universe if you do evil to people evil will come to you and but then 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 a lot of folks will say oh yeah but that guy he was a real monster and and then you know he ended up dying a nice easy life and nothing happened to him. and it's like well that's assuming that his entire existence was what we can perceive while he was here in the finite material world and that's where reincarnation comes in you you know, you may be able to slide through our system of justice. And Philip, I you know, you're an attorney, uh, I'm an attorney. We both have seen the most despicable people walk out of court with a not guilty verdict. It happens all the time. Yep. Okay? Let me tell you something. The human system of justice is simply that the human system of justice. Gods, the universes, the multiverses, you know, the spirit, the source uh, system of justice is karma and reincarnation, and there is no escaping that.
0: Yeah, well, I think that an example there, and of course I'm not rendering judgment here, but uh, would would O.J. Simpson be better off in jail or the life that he's leading? I mean, he, he has, his life got completely ruined, and at one time he's on commercials jumping through airport terminals for Hertz uh, and breaking, breaking tackles uh, for the Buffalo Bills, and now he is basically, Basically, sort of, uh, he's got leprosy, and and so that to me is a good example of karma. It's obviously a rich topic, and you know, every time somebody supports karma, Mark, I I feel good because I think that we need we need karma to be true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it needs to be true because it really means that at the end of the day, there is a justice in the and, and world.
1: The, it, 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 yeah, absolutely, yeah. Philip, and the antidote. The antidote for karma, every great spiritual teacher has told us what it is, and Jesus yeah. is the most well-known for it. Treat yeah. other people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. The Buddha say, "Do not do to other people what you do not want them to do to you." Yeah. Okay, um, every single uh, religion says, you know, basically your rights. And where someone else's nose begins, yeah treat treat people the way you want to be treated and be kind and gentle and loving and peaceful, you know all of these these nuts these 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 filthy religious fanatics uh in you know in the middle East that um, are using and hijacking a, a uh, one of the world's great religions to justify their anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence, and, and even people in this country that are legislating um, discriminatory and hateful uh, uh, laws uh, under the guise of religious freedom, they're completely missing the Let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. Message, and I never recall Jesus saying we are all the children of God except for the following people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. We need, we need. You know what we need, and this is, this is, this is uh, my own. I think we need an accelerated karma. (laughs) You know what we need. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking. You know, the it'd, it'd be nice if things would would speed up. Uh, and maybe maybe that will be something that will uh, gradually change. I I want to emphasize something here that uh, to me it's one of the most important and really insightful things that we've been talking about here Mark and that is the correlations uh that that you've made and others have made but in your book you make the between sort of these spiritual insights and science itself you know the karma being sort of analogous if you will to newton's first law of motion for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction and i love i love the description your description of interdimensional communication being like a radio wave and it's sort of like do we really understand how how uh, our cell phones communicate with each other i mean we sort of take it for granted that there's this invisible signal going to satellites and bouncing off the satellites and going to the phone and it's it sounds it, it it really is sort of it, it reminded me that that saying you know as a as above so below and i'm not sure if it's, if i have it right it could be as below so above but in any event as is true on the spiritual level so is true on the Physical level, and and that to me is something that's powerful for those of us who want to see you know spirituality and science sort of uh, merged a little bit here. So so I think that that is that is something that's that's really good about what you've done. The last thing you know we you you've talked about God and that's the big question and clearly this is all all proof. <laughs> proof in my mind, and I think that's what you're saying, of this spiritual essence. Is that is that true for you, I take it?
1: Uh, yes, uh, I, I absolutely believe in God, and I know there's a lot of people that think if you believe in God, you're delusional. Um, I'm going to share with you something that I presented at Edgar Cayce, uh, when people who say that I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. And so atheism is premised on the belief that in the beginning there was nothing. And then nothing happened to nothing, and for no reason, nothing suddenly exploded, creating everything. And then pieces of everything started colliding with each other, turning into self-replicating organic material that eventually turned into dinosaurs. Right. So I have a real hard time um, uh, trying to understand how people can believe that, that... there is no God, and what happens is the, the debunkers and the atheist crowd, they bring up a valid point, and I don't oftentimes give them any credibility. A lot of religions get mired into the God is a king theory. Yeah. And I know that i 'm probably ticking off you know thousands of of people all over the place, but the idea of God as a white man sitting on a throne with a scepter um, smiting and casting people out you have to realize that God is an infinite or is the infinite energy being, source of love, power, light, creativity, intelligence, uh, is a multidimensional being transcending space-time, interconnected vibrationally with everyone from on a cellular level all, all the way up to you know supernovas and stars and suns and, and things we can't even begin to imagine. Because we can't imagine and our human brain is a device which houses the consciousness is not the consciousness because our consciousness is an immortal living being and we cannot in material world form perceive infinity. So what we do is we create a point of reference. We anthropomorphize God. In other words, we give God human attributes. And so when you see God as a king on a throne, you have to realize that that was medieval imagery that was developed at the end of the uh the Roman Empire and who was more encompassing and all powerful than the emperor of Rome? Yeah. The the you know who had absolute authority over everyone in the world, life and death and then in the middle ages every king jumped upon that to say that well yes you know God exists but in and um I am God's representative on earth and and so people tend to put a human face on God I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that but you have to realize that we cannot put creative uh or any type of human limitations on the power of God I like something that Pope Francis recently said about the merging of science and faith. He said, "The Big Bang does not contradict the creative intervention of God; rather, it depends upon it."
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I think that you know a lot of what we do is we are trying to express ancient truths in words that we and other people can understand. And and that that I think is really what this is all about. I mean I think that we we are we are still experiencing the same world, the same questions, the same mysteries as the early folks in civilization. We're still encountering the same magic and the same unknowns, but we're we're trying to put in our own words. And I I think the challenge here, Mark, for me, has always been putting in words so everybody can understand and that we could agree upon something. And that, that I think, is encouraging when the Pope starts, you know, trying to find common ground. I, I actually think we have a, a long way to go, but I'm optimistic that we're heading in the right direction. And with that in mind, I'd like you to just sort of give a couple, uh, two things. First of all, just talk briefly about where you see this field going, and then just tell people how to how to find your new book and, and, your, and, your, um, and what you're up to.
1: I think that we're on the threshold of science beginning to understand God and I believe that the ultimate objective of science is the discovery of God. Yeah. When you have someone as advanced as Thomas Edison almost a hundred years ago believing that he could create a device sensitive enough to communicate with spirits, when you have people with that type of intellect yeah. uh, believing this, uh, for people who want to find out more about my book and about how to book a uh, private session with me, either in person or on the phone, please go to EvidenceOfEternity.com. It's the same as the title of my book, EvidenceOfEternity.com. And, um, um, Philip, I cannot thank you enough for having me on your show today.
0: Yeah, well, Mark, it's it's always always a pleasure. And one thing that... Um, as as we were wrapping things up, it just brought it just brought to my mind that there's a quote from uh, Hamlet, Shakespeare. Uh, the quote is, "There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, that are dreamt of in your philosophy." And that that particular quote to me, sort of, is a commentary on the modern materialistic scientific worldview. And that, and and put in different words, that there's more to life. More to the world than the current scientific theories are letting them letting us believe, and I think things like um, near death experiences interdimensional communication, as Mark uh, Anthony talks about so well in his book Evidence of Eternity, are just two signs that the field of what we know as science is opening up, and I think we could we will only be better off as science. Uh, incorporates these facts and this evidence into its theories this is Philip Camella. this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion we'll we'll see you next week when I'll have Sonata Pantini on the phone talking about her new book that Transcendent Mind we'll see you next week thanks for listening you've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion hosted by Philip Camilla To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.